Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Christy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, October 2nd. Today we are reading from the big book and we are at page 36, second paragraph. Today's readers are Paula, Marsha, Eddie, and Deb W. The reference number for Monday, October 1st, is 3091. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Nicole to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Vision for You. The 12 steps. Number one. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for the knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Nicole. I will now ask Rosanna to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. Rosanna, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 
three. The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Rosanna. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're on page 36 second paragraph, and I will ask Paula to begin reading. This would be Paula, compulsive overreader. I'm grateful. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart, but felt reassured as I was taking it on a whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured it into more milk. That didn't seem to bother me, so I tried another. Well, we see it begins with the word suddenly, you know, suddenly meaning unexpectedly. We know what that means, you know, all at once. No, no, it was building. It was building. It was preparing itself. But the thought crossed my mind. Well, see, if it just crossed your mind, he would have been all right. But it stayed. It stayed and grew, and he fed it. He fed it with his resentments, as we see the paragraph before. A little irritation, a little bit of 
of dis- still being in the disillusionment. Uh, well, it's not this, you know, really isn't me. No. Mm-mm. And there it stayed, and there it grew. And then he said, I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. Oh, boy. What could it hurt? What could it hurt? Another trip to the asylum? Did he forget? Or did he not want to remember? I vaguely, now vaguely, we know that's kind of shadowy, sensed I would not be any too smart. But he was going to stay with that thought. But I felt reassured. There you go. As I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach, well, see, there's the difference. If it was on an empty stomach, now you talk about insanity. Do, do not these words, whatever they are, clearly equalize insanity. The experiment, an experiment is a test. Did he not take this test before? Did he ever pass it? What made him think he was going to pass it this time? But it went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured more into my milk. There's the milk. That didn't seem to bother me. There you go. So I tried another. You know, I repeated almost every word. And we repeat almost every action. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Press star one to unmute. Hi, Christy. This is Melanie, compulsive overeater from Minnesota. May I share? Sure, Melanie. Go ahead. Hi. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I wasn't going to, but I um, wanted to just share a situation that happened to me just last night. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind, and that's something that's that's um, still quite quite a, a slippery place for me because thoughts come in and out all the time, and I they come so fast that I oftentimes dismiss them. And I was um, thinking about thinking about Jim quite a bit last night. Saved my behind, quite frankly. Um, because I'm an addict through and through, and it centers in my head, and it never seems to to uh, change too much in some way. So with that, I'll, I just was framing it like this. And so last night, I was fixing my dinner, and I was measuring out one teaspoon of oil. That's what I committed. And, well, I was looking at it, and I like to make sure that it's wiped off around the, the sides and the bottom, and I was doing all that. Was it completely level across the top? Yes, it was. Well, maybe it's a little concave. This was all going on in my head while I have my plate on the scale. And I think, well, it's okay. So I'll put it on the scale, and it'll weigh 0.15 anyway. That's what it typically weighs. And so I put it on the scale, and it weighs 0.10. And I had decided that it was a measured teaspoon, the teaspoon that I had committed I hadn't committed the weight amount. So now what I'm going what am I going to do? Well, the thought suddenly crossed my mind. I will make it look like 0.15 on the scale. That's what I'm used to. And I committed 1 teaspoon. Isn't that the same? To say I committed 1 teaspoon and it weighs 1.15, that's what I've looked at all along. But what did I commit? The head and monkey chatter continues in my mind. And I think it's okay. I've added more. The teaspoon was level and I added more. The teaspoon was level that I committed, and I added more. And that was okay with me. It's the same weight, right? 
and I'm going to wear this program like a loose garment, right? Did this just last night. And thank God I got this feeling that I now can re- that I can recognize that I would not have, could not ever before. I have a fellowship to clear these things out with. I had that twinge, that teeny twinge. It was very, very silent and quiet. A teeny twinge that said, you better call somebody. You better call somebody. And I thought of Jim. All of this going on, probably in a split second, and thank God I called somebody. And I surrendered this to somebody else and to their direction. And today I can speak with a clear mind because somebody else guided me on what to do to clean that up. Thank God. Thank God for Jim. Thank God for page 36 for my meal last night. Doesn't matter. Every unrelenting brain that continues on, it, it centers in my mind. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Melanie. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Nicole. It's Monica. It's Monica. Hi, Nicole. I heard you first. And Monica, will you go second? Yes. Hi, everybody. This is Nicole, a gratefully recovering compulsive overeater. Um, Melody, thank you for sharing that story. Actually, that's really helpful. Um, what I wanted to comment on here was, again, the first line, suddenly the thought crossed my mind. And, you know, since being in the program, um, again, I'm, I'm not recovered, but I am recovering. I am seeing such a connection between my emotions and then the thought that suddenly would cross my mind um, to pick up food. Um, you know, he was irritated, and then the next paragraph, suddenly this thought arrived. And I was sharing with my sponsor uh, just the other day that about a day or two ago, something really irritating and disturbing had happened to me. And the thought that crossed my mind was, wow, I'm not thinking about using food as a solution. I was going about my day, and it actually dawned on me because I worked the 10th step, I brought through the 10th step, and I prayed, and I asked God to help me, that as the day went on, I said, oh, my goodness, I would have normally had the thought cross my mind that I should eat something with regard to the situation. So it's just another confirmation that when we allow these little irritations, resentments, fears, disturbances, whatever it is, to sit and to fester and to not bring it to God, that is when that thought could suddenly cross our mind. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nicole. Monica, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Wow. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. Now, isn't this just totally, absolutely insane thinking? Who thinks like this but us, but us? And so he orders a whiskey and he pours it in the milk. Okay, so what's happening in this paragraph? This is a really important paragraph here. He has an insane thought. And then he, he, um, he makes a decision based on this insane thinking. 
and then he takes some action. You know, he he orders the whiskey and he pours it into his milk. And then immediately the physical allergy takes over and he can't stop. And in the big book here, um, Bill is by stories, different stories in this chapter, he's trying to get across to us that it's not the physical allergy here that's playing into effect. It is the obsession of the mind, the insane thinking, that alcoholic mind that we have that is different from normal people that tells us, you know, if you just put it in a little milk, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. But it goes on to say, I vaguely sense I was not being any too smart. And I think as a, as a process of going through the steps and getting that relationship with God, I look back on this sentence here now and think, I vaguely sense I was not being any too smart. I remember nanoseconds of thoughts like that too. And what was that? It was, you know, but God trying to tell me, you know, it's not too smart here, Monica. This is not what you want to do. And today when I get that sense, I know, I know it's listen, listen to this, you know. This is trying to tell you that this is all a lie, that this is not the truth that if you do mix that with your milk, you're going to be off on another binge. So I like how he's given us another story, another way of trying to get us to see the insanity of our mind. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. I'm Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And, um, you know, I also am struck by that sentence that says, I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart. Um, you know, I remember early in my recovery, people telling me that when those thoughts come, when those thoughts come to, you know, that maybe I can put whiskey in my milk, you know, maybe I can have just a slice or a sliver, that, that what I was taught to do is to play the tape, you know, play that tape the whole way through. What would that look like? What would that look like if I took that bite? What would it look like if I took that first compulsive bite? It would look like it did every other one of the thousands of times I took that first compulsive bite. It was not going to end up any different. Even though I'd had a little bit of time under my belt, even though I'd had some space between me and that last first compulsive bite of food because I had been abstinent for, you know, a, a month or two, um, you know, I, I know that things would, would not end up well. Things would not end up well. And I knew that. I knew that. And what I knew about my disease, too, what I know about my disease today is that it's cunning and it's baffling and it's powerful. And what I also know is, you know, it took me decades. It took me decades to get into the rooms of OA and sit my butt down in the seats and say, help me. I need help. And to be able to really hear the 
you know, my problem outlined in the big book that I have a physical allergy. I have an abnormal, an abnormal reaction to food. I have a physical allergy to certain foods that once I ingest them into my body, it kicks in the greater aspect of my disease, which is the mental obsession. That once I ingest for me, for me, you know, sugar, fat, flour, volume, you know, I, I'm in trouble. I am in trouble. And it took me decades. To, you know, it took me, you know, weighing 340 pounds at my top weight. It took me a lot of desperation and a lot of bewilderment and a lot of despair and absolute utter hopelessness before I was able to say, okay, I don't care what it takes. I don't care if I have to give up food. I don't care if I have to admit, you know, um, complete defeat. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. And I can't imagine if I picked up that first bite, if that cunning, baffling, and powerful disease once again entered into my brain. I don't, I don't know how many decades it would take to get me back to that place. I don't know. And, you know, I, today, you know, what I do is let this big book come to life, you know, let those principles that are outlined in the big book permeate every aspect of my mind, every recess of my mind, every corner of my brain, so that I won't find it necessary to pick up that first bite. Because I know, I know I can pick up at the drop of a hat. I'm a compulsive overeater through and through, through and through. And, um, you know, if I don't find it necessary to pick up that first bite in the first place, then I'm good to go. I am good to go. And that's what the work, that's what the daily work is for me today. Because once I pick that first bite up, I have no idea how many decades it will take me once again to get to that place of desperation. And today, thank, I am grateful, thank goodness, that I, um, I don't want to test that. I don't want to test that today. So, with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this paragraph before we move on? This is Michelle. This is Janice. Okay, Michelle, go ahead, and then Janice. Hi, good morning, Christy. Good morning, everyone. This is Michelle, Recovered Compulsive Reader. And um, everybody has already, you know, um, shared beautifully on this paragraph. Um, the reason I wanted to share was um, yesterday on the parking lot, I shared my experience that was, um, I guess, a gym experience. And um, by the grace of God, um, you know, I I didn't pick up that first bite. But what I wanted to share was that um, it happened on a Sunday, um, and I got a phone call on a Friday morning that was um, disturbing, and I I was feeling irritated. I was building a few resentments, and um, I prayed about it. I turned it over to God. Um, I didn't pick up the phone and call someone. Actually, I did talk to my sponsor and mentioned it, but I didn't realize um, the extent of the irritation. I I thought that I had prayed about it. I thought I'd talked to someone about it. And to me, it just um, shows the the cunning, the baffling, um, you know, how powerful this disease is, that um, my experience was that I just wanted to go and sit in a hospitality room with friends that was what I thought my thought was, but I also knew there was food in that room, and I had only eaten part of my breakfast. I had forgotten the rest of my prepared food at home, and I had picked up a muffin and held it in my hand, and thankfully, 
Um, I had my thought, but the second thought was that, Michelle, this is not on your food plan. And that was my higher power talking to me. And I had been praying and asking God for help throughout the, the each day. And that thought that this was not on my food plan allowed me to put that put that piece of food down and then go and take care of myself. But it was so sudden. It was so cunning and baffling. I did not even know um, that that thought was present or it was going to lead me to have that food in my hand. And, again, it was God. It was not anything, um, any power. I am still powerless over food. I'm still powerless over that first bite. I, I can have that mental lapse. Um, even though I'm working this program daily, working my steps, sponsoring people, talking to my sponsor. And it just reminded me um, how powerful this disease is. And um, it really brought me to my knees. And I, I did, um, didn't even realize that this irritation was building. Like someone said, it, you know, these resentments, it feeds it. It feeds the disease. And so, um, again, uh, listening to the you know, vision for you yesterday, um, God spoke to me, said do a fourth step, and then do the rest of steps five through nine, which last night, yesterday, I did. And um, it just brings me to tears um, because to see how powerful and cunning this disease is, but also joy to see that God is there providing if I just rely and depend on a power greater than myself. And, um, yeah, this is just um, this paragraphs in italics, and it is very important. And thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, thank you Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, go ahead, Janice. Thank you, Christy. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. You know, more about alcoholism. That is what we are studying here. You know, thank God. That the, that the writers of the big book, those who have recovered, felt it was important for us to hear Jim's story. And, and to hear Jim's story, you know, what do we know to be true with what was going on here with Jim? Well, he had made a good beginning. He had made a good beginning, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. He'd made a good beginning. He agreed with these men that, yes, he too was an alcoholic. And, yes, this was also what was wrong with him. But he ended up getting drunk a half a dozen times in quick succession. And so the story we're hearing is that even though he had the knowledge now of who he was, what was he not doing? What was he not doing? We're hearing a lot about what he was doing but what was he not doing? You know, what, what was happening to him is what had always happened to me. You know, I had the knowledge, but did I believe? Did I believe that I was a compulsive overeater through and through, like Christy just said? Did I believe that, and was I willing to do what it took based on that belief? Because Jim here was going to once more test his personal control. None of us likes to believe we are bodily and mentally different from our fellows. We want to prove ourselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-compulsive overeaters. We want to believe that we can have one more time at controlling and enjoying our eating. And that's where Jim was. Throw in a few, throw in a nervous disposition 
and a few irritating, resentful, discontented moments and no step work. And what happens? That thought resurfaces. And suddenly, it seemed like that thought was the best idea he'd had in a long time. Let's put some whiskey in my milk. That won't hurt me, right? Right? That won't hurt me. I've been sober now for a while. That won't hurt me. I've been to this place many times before. Maybe I'll meet somebody who might be interested in buying a car from me. You know, doesn't that sound like insanity? And we can read it right here. I vaguely sensed that I wasn't being too smart. You know, somewhere deep in the recesses of his mind, there was a part of him that remembered he agreed that that was what was wrong with him, too, that he was an alcoholic. And these men had told him what they had done, worked the steps as if their life depended on it, in order to connect with that power greater than themselves, which lack of power had always been my dilemma. But once more, Jim's going to pick up his own power and he's going to try it. And we see what happens. We see what happens. There goes that experiment again. That experiment today. today. You know, I don't have to make that experiment because I know who I am and what I'm up against. Thank you, God, I know. But I also know that the step work, steps four through nine, is what relieves the obsession. That's how I enlarge my spiritual life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Marsha, would you please read the next paragraph for us? Certainly. Good morning, A Vision for You. I'm Marsha, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader. Thus started one more journey to the asylum for Jim. Here was the threat of commitment, the loss of family and position, to say nothing of that intense mental and physical suffering which drinking always caused him. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. I'll stop there and share. Um, Yes, we have much knowledge about ourselves, the compulsive readers, those who know that we have this disease. Um, Doesn't matter uh, that the relationships with our family and friends and our coworkers are suffering, their spouses are suffering, our partners are suffering, it doesn't matter that we physically are suffering, the, the physical discomfort, I mean, the threats to my health, and bursting through buttons, breaking zippers, breaking furniture. I had much knowledge about myself. I, I, I had a PhD in dieting and weight loss. But for reasons beyond my ability to understand, uh, they were all pushed aside because I thought I could have one cookie. And that just doesn't happen for compulsive readers like me. Um, so when I did go into a near four-year relapse, and, and God help me if that ever, if I ever lose my connection with my higher power, because that could happen so easily again if I'm not enlarging my spiritual life. I mean, I I, I went down that the, the one more journey to the asylum for Marcia. Um, my own little asylum in my own little house that I I, I kept myself locked in with, with my food and my comfort. And, uh, that was my comfort. That was my God. And if it had not been for the, the real higher power in my life who spoke to me through some dear friends, uh, I I finally made the journey back. And thank, thank God. Thank God. Because 
now I can speak to you as a recovered compulsive overeater, somebody who has recovered from relapse and recovered from this mental obsession. And uh, the idea that I could have one of anything, one of my binge foods, one of one sugar or, or flour or any of those things that I, I, used, to, I used to consume with incredible insanity, I thank God that I am here today and, and I can say that this program works if you work the steps, if you're abstinent, if you, if you have a power greater than you and you keep it daily contact, sometimes even hourly contact because you know, food is all around us. We're in work situations, we're in family situations, there are parties, it's, uh, it just, it's everywhere, but so is, so is my higher power. My higher power is with me everywhere. And as long as I'm connected to my higher power, I am in the present, and I am not needing to eat. And the thought doesn't cross my mind. That is the miracle of this program. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Marsha. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? It's Monica. Monica, go ahead. Thank you, Christy. Monica, compulsive overeater. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic. Now, he has, you know, the um, recovered alcoholics there had been working with him for a while. And uh, had, you know, explained to him and he had agreed that he was an alcoholic. So basically, he had done steps one, two, and three. But what kept happening to him? He kept getting drunk. He kept getting drunk. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yeah? He had knowledge here and understanding that he was an alcoholic. Yet, all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. You know, that crazy, insane thinking. You know, he knew on one level that if he drank again, He'd end up, who knows where he'd end up, you know. He'd probably end up in a sane asylum. He'd end up in jail. He'd end up in a hospital. He'd be losing his family. And it'd be, you know, and the anguish, the mental anguish. You know how you feel after that binge, you know. The four horsemen, the despair, the frustration, the depression. He knew all this. So, again, here is the knowledge. So he had lots of knowledge about all this stuff. But it wasn't enough. Why? Because this is a spiritual problem, and he wasn't doing anything else to um, work the spiritual part of the program. You know, he did one, two, and three, but he wasn't going any further with the steps. And you have to work the steps to get that spiritual part of the of the you know spiritual solution, which is God that will help us, that we can take away this foolish thought, that if we just mix some whiskey with milk, it'll be okay. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? I'd like to share, Christy. My name is Rosanna. Rosanna, go ahead. Good morning, everyone. This is Rosanna, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And this paragraph is just so... um, it's such a strong and really powerful paragraph because it just shows us the mental twist. You know, when I, 
read this, it really made me get what this disease is. You know, suddenly the thought crossed my mind, and I vaguely sensed that mental twist that they talk about, that not having the discernment to know the true from the false, you know, not knowing, not being sane enough to know that I'm being insane. And, um, you know, we talked about in the previous paragraphs he was irritated and, uh, it shows me that today I need to be cleared up or my connection is not there. My commitment is not, the, you know, if I am committed to being, you know, the person that God intended me to be today, I have to stay cleared up of all my stuff, you know, whether it be my relationships like we've we've um, shared, has to be cleared up. Or so I don't have that connection to know the true from the false because my willpower ain't doing it. I have no willpower when it comes to food. There is none. It doesn't, you know, that discernment comes from God's power. God has given me the power to differentiate the true from the false. And when I'm not connected to God, I don't have that. I don't have that discernment. And um, it just shows me that, you know, my thinking is what got me here. My sick mind can't heal my sick mind. So I need to be connected spiritually in order for my mind to work the right way when it comes to food. It works the right way in other areas most of the time, not always. But when it comes to food, my mind, if my spirit is not connected, my mind is not working right with food. And it's just so powerful because, you know, on page 92, it does talk about that mental twist. You know, show him that mental twist. Where, you know, you can't, um, if he be a real, it says here, Show how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. You know, I mean, show him that mental twist, which leads to the first drink. If he is an alcoholic, he will understand you at once. He will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Rosanna. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Good morning, it's Eddie in Virginia. Eddie, go ahead. Good morning, all. This is Eddie in Virginia, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Happy to be here this morning. Happy that you're all here with me this morning. Um, I, I, everyone has their favorite parts of the big book, and, and this is one of my two very favorite stories in the big book about Tim, uh, the other one being the one in the back of the book about acceptance. But, uh, you know, suddenly the thought, and then, um, you know, this just started one more journey to the asylum. Um, you know, Suddenly the thought was that I could eat like everybody else, um, usually followed, you know, preceded by, you know, why, I, why can't I eat like everybody else? You know, the resentment of, of uh, trying to control my food and uh, not being happy. And then, you know, suddenly the thought, and actually, if I'm quite honest with myself, it wasn't all that sudden because like Jim in this paragraph before him, you know, the, that the irritation had been building up. And, and, and if, if I was really honest, you know, things – I could go back and look that things were building up, and all of a sudden, you know, there it was. Um, so it was not as sudden as um, as he, and I'm sure he realized that at some point in his life, too, that it wasn't as sudden as he actually made it out to be, that it had been building, and he just decided that, you know, he was going to give in. And that's what happened to me. I just got tired of fighting because I was trying to do it on my own. And then, you know, the journey to the asylum, uh, you know, that journey up the scale again and then trying to find another uh, magic bullet that would work for me, that this time it would be different, you know, another weight loss program, another doctor, another whatever crazy thing it was I had decided to try. 
and uh, you know, and then that the uh, to say nothing of the intense mental and physical suffering which always, which uh, eating always caused me, um, and uh, just you know that foolish, uh, foolish idea that you know that I could be like everybody else because we we all spend m- much of our lives trying to be like everybody else for whatever reason. That's just I guess how that's how I'm built. I can't speak for anybody else, but that's how I'm built. I want to be like everybody. I want to blend in. I want to be like everybody else. So, you know, today um, I don't worry so much about that. I worry more about the connection, maintaining the connection to my higher power because I know that there is no, even though I use a food plan that I've been using for seven years with with great results, that there's really no food plan on this earth that's going to keep me um, in recovery. You know, I mean, it's necessary. I use it as a tool, but it's certainly not the overwhelming force that guides me today, um, you know, that, that today I need to maintain the, the, the uh, connection with my, with my higher power and work the steps. And uh, as someone said earlier, ignore the monkey chatter in my head um, when it starts and then just go to my program when the monkey char- charter, chatter does start. Otherwise, I'll wind up with Jim, like Jim, you know, putting whiskey in my milk. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Eddie. I'm Christine. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and um, you know, reading this paragraph and looking at those, you know, those pieces in there that jump out at me, the threat of commitment, and we're not talking about the threat of commitment to high-end rehab. You know, we're not talking about that in the 1930s and 40s. Insane asylums were not pleasant places to be, especially if it was a place you were being committed to. to committed to. Um, You know, you're talking about deplorable conditions, horrible, horrible places to be. You know, the loss of family, the loss of his family. You know, he has this loving family at home we have read about. He's got a nice family. Um, Position, the position that he had. He had a job. You know, he had a job, you know, during a time when jobs were hard to come by. You know, he had a job even though he was working for the you know, the he wasn't he didn't own the place anymore. He'd lost that. They're working for someone else now that owned the the place. But you know, jobs tough to come by. He's gonna lose his job. He's gonna lose his family. He's gonna be committed to deplorable conditions, and um, that is nothing. You know, he says to say nothing of that intense physical and intense mental and physical suffering that drinking always caused him. Against all of those things, against all of those things, those were easily pushed aside. Those were easily pushed aside was that foolish idea that he could take the whiskey in the milk with a sandwich and it wouldn't it wouldn't have an impact you know maybe he'd never tried that combination before maybe he'd never tried that you know it didn't matter that I had tried every single flavor of potato chips if they were going to come out with a new one well I haven't tried that one before maybe I'd tried the other 999 but that thousandth one was going to be different That one was going to be different. It wasn't going to affect me in the same way the other 999 had. Why is that? Why is that that I could think that way? What is it that caused me to think that way? And for me, it is, again, the greater aspect of my disease, which is the mental obsession, which I wouldn't have if I didn't pick up the food in the first place. You know, I don't know whether I'm drawn to this story because he eats three sandwiches and milk. You know, I've certainly had that experience before, and he wasn't affected by it. You know, he wasn't affected by it right away. He didn't. He didn't have that first, you know, sip of whiskey and his milk and get committed to an insane asylum. So why not have another one? That was going to come down the road. 
for someone like him. Because once that obsession has been kicked in, you know, if Jim is anything like me, he's going to continue going. It didn't affect him negatively this last time, so it might not affect him negatively the next time. And therein lies the problem for someone like me, because I repeated that I repeated that experiment over and over again. I had a sample size of thousands, thousands that I could draw statistics from, and there was never any, never any outcome that was different. Food, food, it got worse and worse. And you know what recovery gave me was a pause between that impulsive thinking that had me just picking up the food right away. Being in recovery has given me a pause between me and that food, a teeny bit of space that's grown more and more. It's grown larger and larger. I've grown away from wanting that first bite in the first place by practicing these principles and all my affairs, by reading the big book, by studying the big book, by making what is in these pages come to life for me. I've grown away from the idea, the insane idea that we'll talk about in a minute that, um, you know, that it's not going to burn me this time. It's not going to burn me this time. And, uh, you know, I'm so grateful to have the space, the space between me and that impulsion that just had me picking up the food and then asking myself what I'd done and why. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this paragraph? Yes, my name is uh, hold on just a second, Janice. I heard someone jump in there. Yeah, my name is Tony. I'm a food addict. Tony, I'm sorry, Tony, go ahead. Yes. Uh, I just want to just real quickly uh, identify, I, I can identify with this uh, section of the book, and um, I'm just grateful to be able to put together one, one day at a time, six days of not acting out with food through God's grace. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Go ahead, Janice. Thank you, Christy. Thank you. You know, yet all those reasons, he had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed, inside, pushed aside. Easily, easily, it says, pushed aside. You know, and, and he had all of these reasons, all of these reasons. You know, the threat of commitment, the loss of his family and his position. To say nothing of that intense mental and physical suffering which drinking had always caused him. You know, I don't know about you, but it caused me intense physical and mental torture. Mental and physical suffering and torture every time I picked up. Every time. But no matter how great the desire or the wish, I could not cease forever. I could not stop by my own willpower. I just could not stop. And it was a truth, not easy to face, but right there. And I don't know about you, but once you learn who you are and what you're up against, eating compulsively is never any fun anymore. Once you know who you are, and what you're up against, you can never go back. You can never go back. Once you have that knowledge, you can never go back. And the suffering and the intensity of that mental and physical suffering when you pick up only gets worse, never better. It only gets worse, never better. 
and all the threats in my life, if I don't do this, if I don't stick with this diet, if I don't stick with this abstinence, this is what's going to happen to me, was easily pushed aside. In the moment where that food called my name, where the obsession of my mind was so cunning and baffling and powerful, I would, I would pick up that insane idea would win out again and again. And thank God we're going to learn what the remedy is, what the solution is, what we can do against this insane idea. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else before we move on? This is Paula. May I share? Sure, Paula. Go ahead. Thank you. And then I will happily move on uh, to better things. But, you know, right under that easily pushed is more about alcoholism. And this is clearly telling you. It's easily, yet all the reasons for not drinking, okay, all the reasons, there were many for not drinking, were easily, not even difficult, easily pushed aside. Easily is truly not difficult. What is pushed? Vigorous effort. Vigorous effort. Because, you know, see what came together here? Obsession, illusion, delusion, exactly the words that are spoken on page 30, comes together here in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only those words, if only I just didn't eat in in the morning and I ate just at night, if only I just had this combination, which is only actually 10% of that, so I can do that. How many if onlys? In every one of them, a lie that I wanted to believe. I wanted to believe the lie. I did not want to hear the truth. Thank you for allowing me to share. Today I know the truth. Thank you, Paula. Eddie, would you please read the next paragraph? Good morning, this is Eddie, compulsive overeater in Virginia. Grateful to be in recovery today. Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. How much, how can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? Um, I guess I'll just stop here. It's a short paragraph, but boy, there's a ton of stuff in here. Um, and yes, for me, I, I, don't, I don't know about for anybody else, but I know for me that um, you really could not call my behavior anything else but insane. Um, you know, they say that insanity, the definition of insanity is uh, the uh, continuance of the, of the same behaviors with the, ex, with, uh, the, exception, with the expect, expectation of a different outcome. And for me, it was the same thing for years and years and years, uh, repetitive behavior uh, of the same uh, variety, the compulsive eating, um, uh, running my way up the scale, until um, I got to the point where my health was physically impacted, until my emotional uh, status was, you know, bordering on uh, just downright crazy, uh, to where my relationships were um, in in dire need of of certainly a, a, of an overhaul that I was not even capable of doing, understanding, much less doing. Uh, you know, the ruination of, of years of, of, uh, of marriage uh, to a wonderful man, of, uh, you know, uh, alienating members of my family, um, of impacting my ability to do my job. Uh, you know, none of this mattered once I got back in the food. And yet every time, every time, um, somebody earlier said they had a Ph.D. In, in dieting. Well, so did I. 
Um, and uh, every time I would, uh, you know, try this new program expecting this, the results would be different. Uh, when I got to the end and once again uh, started thinking, uh, like Jim here, that if I put my, uh, you know, my cookies at the end of a meal, uh, of, a, of a healthy meal, that uh, this time it would be different and I could have just two or three or, or whatever. And, and indeed, I remember going to a doctor once for my weight and, and saying to him, I just want to be able to, 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 to have two cookies and a glass of milk at night before you go to bed. You know, and thinking that there was nothing wrong with that wish. You know, I mean, I never wished for, you know, uh, the monkey chatter to cease in my brain to, you know, I never, I never wished for things like that to repair my relationships with uh, those whom I had alienated through my behavior. I just wanted to have these two cookies, you know. I mean, even that's insane. When, when, you, when you think that, you know, you're going through all of this, you're putting yourself through all of this just to have the ability to have two of whatever it is that your particular thing is, you know. Uh, but, yeah, it never seemed to me insane until, you know, I, I, I got into, um, into the rooms of OA, and I realized that, you know, all these years I had been focusing on being thin instead of focusing on becoming the person that I knew, uh, that the God that I thought I knew, could, even, even without the clarity that I have today of, of what God it, it means to me in my life, that I, you know, that he would create me to be that, that person. So... Today, I'm grateful that I can see that, um, that for the most part, the monkey chatter in my brain does not come around very often. It does come around. I mean, after all, I'm a still compulsive overeater. But uh, today, I know where to go with that. And as somebody just said before me, that you know, once you get into OA and you work the program, you really can't enjoy that stuff anymore when it shows up because you know. You know, now, now the knowledge has a purpose. You know, it has a purpose that I know where to go and what to do when those things show up. And for that, I am ever grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Eddie. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Press star one to unmute. It's Monica. Monica, go ahead. Thank you, Christy. Um, whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. So I'm looking up the word insanity here in our little big book dictionary. Insanity, extreme senselessness or foolishness, delusion, delirium, irrationality. Extreme senselessness or foolishness, you know? Isn't this what this is? You know, foolishness, this foolishness that we have, this crazy thinking that we have. And this is what they're trying to get across to us in this chapter. The, the mental obsession, this insanity, this foolishness, this um, extreme senselessness that we have, this thinking that we have, that this is a greater aspect of our disease. It's not the physical allergy. That's easy enough to take care of. You just don't pick up your binge foods. But when you put the binge foods down, then we have this greater aspect, the obsession of the mind. You know, we get that idea that this is the best idea I've had all week long here to pick up this item. And it's extreme foolishness. We know it's not the best idea. 
But how do we deal with this? You know, again, it's a spiritual problem and we need spiritual principles and it's called working the steps four through nine to clean your house and get that relationship with God because it's God, it's God, it's God and he's the one that's going to help us with this foolish idea. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. And thank you, thank you so much to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Deb W., will you please read a vision for you? You bet. It's my pleasure. Good morning, a vision for you. My name is Deb W. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is so sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you, Deb. I will now ask everyone to press star.